0: Good morning and welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host Kevin Hopkins, and this is episode 72. Today we continue our study in the book of Job, and we are in Job chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In the first chapter, we saw what scholars typically call the first test, and today we see the second test, which is even more terrifying, uh, that God would allow the devil Hit Job twice, but he does. Job chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. One day when the angels came to report to God, Satan also showed up. Almost the exact words from chapter 1. God singled out Satan and said, what have you been up to? Satan answered God, oh, going here and there, checking things out. Then God said to Satan, Have you noticed, my friend Job? There's no one quite like him, is there? Honest and true to his word, totally devoted to God and hating evil with all his heart. He still has a firm grip on his integrity, even though you tried to trick me into destroying him, but it didn't work. Satan answered, A human would do anything to save his life, but what do you think would happen if you reached down and took away his health? I'll tell you what would happen he'd curse you to your face. God said, all right, go ahead. You can do whatever you like with him, but you can't kill him. Satan left God and this time he doesn't wait. Satan left God and struck Job with terrible sores. Job was ulcers and scabs from head to foot. They itched and oozed so badly that he took a broken piece of pottery to scrape himself, then went and sat on a trash heap among the ashes. His wife said, Still holding on to your precious integrity, are you? Why don't you just curse God and die? He told her, You're talking like an empty-headed fool. We take the good days from God. Why not also the bad days? Not once through all this did Job sin. He said nothing against God. So we're not quite through a chapter two, but we're going to stop right there because it's a natural break. It is almost word for word the retelling of the first account with a different calamity. Satan comes with the other angels to give a report to God. God sees him and says, Oh, what are you up to? The devil says, well, I've been off checking things out. Just wandering around, seeing what kind of mischief he can get into. And God says, well, did you see my servant Job? See how good he is, how pure he is, that he's honest and true to his word. He's totally devoted to God and hates evil. He still has a firm grip on his integrity, even though you tried to trick me into destroying him didn't work. Again, there's pride in God's words, isn't there? God is pleased with Job. And this time, there's a little bit of mocking against Satan, isn't there? You tried to trick me into destroying him. Hit him with your best shot, didn't work. God kind of taunts Satan. I'm not sure that's very safe either. But God created Satan, so God ultimately has control over him. Satan cannot do here anything that God won't allow him to. Satan says, well, a human would do anything to save his life. What do you think would happen if I reached down and took away his health? I'll tell you what he'd do. He'd curse you to your face. Now, he's not asking to kill Job, but in some ways what he's asking is worse, right? He's asking to take away his health. And God says, okay, go ahead. You can do anything you like with him, but you can't kill him. Good heavens. Now I'm afraid of God. (laughs) I read this story. I've read it my entire ministry career. And every time I read it, it's like, wait, what? No, no, I want to be your friend, God. I want to be righteous. I want to hate evil. I don't want you... To let the devil have his way with me? Well, bear in mind that you and I don't live under the same covenant that the Old Testament was written under. The book of Job is is some of the very oldest literature in the Old Testament. Scholars agree on that. But it was still written under under the understandings of that Old Testament covenant with God. When Christ died on the cross, if you've been with us through the series in Revelation Then you've heard me say a bazillion times. When Christ died on the cross, Satan was defeated at that point. He no longer gets to wander through heaven. He was thrown to the earth and he has to stay here. He doesn't get God's attention now. He doesn't get to go into God's presence and report anything to God. He is a defeated enemy thrown to the earth and bound so that he can't cause unmitigated mischief anymore. The only power the devil has now is the power you give him. So don't give him any. The power that he has against Job is not power that he has today in the same unmitigated form. But if you give him power, he has power. And there is the fact that he still runs this earth. And so sometimes in the course of your everyday life, you're going to encounter hardship simply because you live in a fallen world. Scary, I know, but it's true. So I promised you that we would look at um, some of the biblical underpinnings, some of the biblical uh, understandings of what the Bible says about hardship and what the Bible says. About the nature of God. So I'm going to just reference a few scriptures here, and I'll try my very best not to take anything out of context, though uh, for the sake of time, there are a few. I'm only going to quote one verse. So I want you to go look at it and see that I'm not taking it out of context. It's about the fact that God does not do harm to people, that God does not intentionally harm anybody. The Lord does not take away. The Lord does not bring harm. Lamentations 3.33. This is kind of cool because these first two are verse 33 of different books and chapters. Lamentations 3.33. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Proverbs 69 33. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Even when they were held captive, that wasn't God's doing, was their doing. They were disloyal to him and so they got attacked by enemies and carried off into exile. But the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Psalm 91 14. Because you love me, I will rescue you. I will protect you because you know my name. In fact, later in the book of Job, Job 34, 12, in that point and throughout the book, you'll see that there are moments that Job hits the nail right on the head and then turns around and screws it up. But in Job thirty-four twelve, he says, for a certainty, for a certainty, God does not act wickedly. Even Job comes to that realization. But but the truth is that wickedness happens on this earth because God is not in total control of this earth. The devil is called in some places in the Bible the prince of the air, or the prince of this world, or the prince of this age. The devil controls what happens on this earth apart from the children of God. And so you'll remember in the book of Revelation that the dragon spewed out a flood of water to try and overwhelm the woman as she fled into the desert. That's a picture of how the devil uses the events and the people's opinions and the activities of this world to try and drown God's people out bad things happen to good people in this world because this world is not redeemed. Not yet. 1 John. 1 John five nineteen. First 1 John 5.19 says, we know that we are children of God, but that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And yet God's intention for you is always good. He does not harm his people. He doesn't harm human beings intentionally. Jeremiah 29:11. This is before there were Christians on the earth. This is when God was speaking to his children. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Sound like a god that plans to do you harm? He isn't. And yet harm comes to God's people on this earth at times. And it's just one of those really scary ideas and understandings that if God trusts you, he doesn't worry about the hard wind blowing against your soul. He doesn't care. It's not that he doesn't care, but he's not he's not concerned that the tempest raging against your soul is going to turn you away from him. You know, here, I was joking on social media last night with one of my friends, and he said, oh, you're going to preach your way through the book of Job. Well, John Calvin preached over 250 sermons from the book of Job. You're going to end up agreeing with our friend John Calvin. And he and I go back and forth because I'm I'm a Wesleyan. He's a Calvinist. Um, my theology comes from John Wesley and and Jacob Arminius to some extent it's a form of arminianism at least and, and so we don't typically pay much attention to the idea of predestination i don't believe that every moment of your life has already been written out and you have to live it like an automaton like a robot with no choice and no free will i just don't believe that i don't believe that your life circumstances are all predestined. I believe your life was known by God before a day of it came to pass. I believe that God knew you were coming. I don't believe you were a surprise to God. But God leaves you the choice to navigate this life by your own free will. And so there's there's this kind of trickiness to it, right? Because the hard wind is going to blow. The storm is going to come. In every life, the Bible says, the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous and the rain falls on the same. Every life is going to know light and joy and every life is going to know some hardship. But the story of Job is that God trusts you and I through the hardships. He trusts the people that love him through the tests. He doesn't believe you'll abandon him or give up on him. You may ask some honest questions. You may ask the wrong questions, just like Job does. That's okay. God would rather that you be talking to him than abandoning him. And so he's not afraid to answer your hard questions, and he's not afraid to allow you to go through the testing of your faith. And in the book of James, you find the reason. James, with that weird verse that says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face hardships of many kinds. Wait, I don't don't want to face hardships. The word also means trials. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. For we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. And perseverance, when it runs its course, builds our faith and integrity makes us eternal creatures fit for heaven. The testing of our faith is what trains us to be ready for heaven. So it's going to come and you don't have to be afraid of it. You can in fact consider it pure joy. I, I don't believe I ever have. Certainly not in the midst of testing and hardship have I said, oh joy, I get to suffer. That's just not natural. But I've also learned not to curse God because of it. I still sometimes say, Lord, really? Is this what we have to do here? Well, I'm in good company there. Even Jesus prayed, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. See, even Jesus came face to face with testing in his life, with hardship, and said, Lord, if there's any other way, I'd sure prefer to take that. I'm not alone in this world if I question God and the purpose of the hardship that comes to me. I'm standing right there with Jesus. Okay, if I have to go through it, Lord, your will, let's go. But I'm not abandoning him. It's not that I'm predestined not to fall. It's not that I couldn't walk away. It's that I've learned that the test passes and God does not. The test goes away and God does not. And on the other side, I'll know more about myself. I'll know more about God. I'll understand my world better and I'll be better prepared for heaven. I'll be more mature. Some of you have walked with me through the worst circumstances a guy could face. Right? I mean, there are people still alive who've been with me in board meetings that were absolutely ridiculous in the things that got discussed, in the stuff that got thrown at people. And yet, here we stand, more mature and better for the process. And and we learned in that process a lot of the times who was for the church and who was against it. The, The great thing about people with bad attitudes is that if you just give them enough leeway, they will tell you exactly where they stand. They will reveal their own wickedness. And all you have to do is say, "Hmm, there you go. See? And people in leadership positions will cleanse themselves. They'll make sure that people who aren't healthy get removed. Hallelujah. If you lead any kind of organization, just don't be a dictator. Give people enough space to hang themselves. Give them enough rope to hang themselves, right? And when they do, take action then with the support of everybody else who's seen their disloyalty, because then everybody will support removing them from any leadership position. It's, it's a tenant that I've lived by for my entire lifetime in leadership, whether it was in education or religion or business Let people tell you the truth about who they are, because when they do, the entire organization will say, that's not who we are, and your problem will be solved, and you won't have to waste your leadership credibility, your employee credibility, your team credibility to try and remove people that are problem children. Let them sink themselves. That's what wisdom literature and and the way of wisdom teaches us. Just Jesus says don't pay re, don't repay evil for evil. Don't don't strike back when someone strikes you. The whole world will see who's righteous and who's unrighteous in that situation. Let it all settle out by itself. If you take your vengeance, you're not accomplishing God's purpose. I know it's hard. And here in the second chapter of Job, the devil strikes Job hard, strikes him with terrible pustules. He has ulcers and scabs from head to foot. They itched and oozed so badly that he took to to raking them off with a broken piece of pottery. And then he went and sat in the trash heap and covered himself with ashes made like a poultice out of the ashes and covered his wounds to keep the oxygen off of them so that they wouldn't hurt as much and the ashes would soak up the pus as they oozed. Ugh. And his wife, his wife says, are you still holding on to your precious integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Well, talk about the evil making themselves known. You can suddenly see she's not ever been a team player. She was a team player as long as there was lots of money and lots of animals and the kids were all doing fine and everything was going great. But when the hardship came, she's not on board anymore. Still holding on to your precious integrity. Are you kidding me? Would she want him to do anything else? Well, yeah. She says, why don't you just curse God and die? Wow. She's not on the team. Not on Job's team, not on God's team, not on any team. She's wicked. I've had a lot of people over the years come and say, why did she not die? (laughs) All the kids died, all the in-laws died, all the grandchildren died. Why is she still here? The answer, one of the old rabbis gave. She's still here because it wasn't God choosing who got to stay. Ah, because the devil spared her for a reason. He knew who was on his team, see? Satan spared her because he knew she was like this. Why don't you just curse God and die? Wow. Job at this moment is really alone, isn't he? Sitting on the ash heap, pressing ashes down into his oozing pustules to try and soak up the pus and cover them so that the oxygen doesn't continue to sting them. Scraping the pustules with a piece of broken pottery to try and ease their the, the pressure that builds up inside of them. And he says to his wife, you talk like an empty-headed fool. We take the good days from God. Shouldn't we also take the bad? And you say, right? And you say... No, wait, God, yes. No, wait, Job, yes. We take the good days from God, but the bad ones didn't come from God. Job, no, it's not God who hit you. You don't have to take bad days from God because he's not handing out bad days. See? Here's your first chance to practice and say, oh, wait, Job, no. No, no, your wife is a shrew. She doesn't have any clue what's going on here. She is an empty-headed fool. We do take the blessings from God's hand, but he doesn't hand out the curses. It's not God who hit you. See, here's your first chance. Go ahead, say it out loud wherever you are. Job, no, this wasn't God. And then this last tag, not once through all this did Job sin. Not once did he say anything against God. He doesn't quite have God right here, but he's not blaming God. He's not cursing God. He's not speaking out against God. He's still worshiping. His heart is still right. His his words and his thinking may be a little bit confused. This is really good news for you and I. His words and his thinking may be a little bit confused, which most of us are at some point, if not many points, through every day. But not once did he sin. Not once did he accuse God. He's trying to navigate the best he can with the understanding of God that he thought he had, which is proving to be inadequate for this for this set of circumstances. Have you ever been there when you just felt like everything you knew about God was still somehow inadequate for what you were facing? Then we go back to the New Testament, to James. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you experience trials of many kinds. Because we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance, and when that's run its course, we come out more faithful. We come to a better understanding of God. So the next time this kind of thing comes up, we're like, ah, been through this kind of stuff before. God's faithful in the midst of this stuff. Prayer really works in this situation. I can see light at the end of the tunnel already, and it's just starting. This is going to be okay. It's not going to feel good. We're not going to enjoy this, but it's going to work out okay. I've been through this before. God wins these. We're good. We're safe. Right? I've I've seen people all my life who are able to say, wait, it's okay. This is not going to be that big a deal. I've been through this before. I know the way through and God wins this one. You just wait and see. And sure enough, they were right. And their faith and their faithfulness helped everyone around them get through that test, that situation in a better way, right? That's how I want to be. That's how I hope you want to be. That... That we gain in wisdom and understanding and, and insight and discernment, to the point that, as each test comes, we feel less and less inadequate to stand them, and we feel more and more faithful to be able to say to our loved ones and to those around us, who have been through this kind of thing before. We're okay here. God's going to meet us on the other side." Take my hand. Get ready. It's going to be a a big one. This one's going to hurt, but. After the hit comes, we're still going to be standing here and we're going to walk right on through into the blessing on the other side. Just stick with me. I love people like that. That's the kind of person I want to be. And it's the kind of person that I hope we can all become.